Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone to, if you haven't already, fill out the end-of-season survey, which you can find in the description for this episode. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Alternate History Class Podcast. My name's Andrew, and here we explore alternate history through the lens of a history class from another timeline. Last week, we looked at how the Great Depression led to the rise of extremism in the former Entente powers. This week, we'll look at the lead-up and opening salvo of the World War. Today we're going to be starting in 1933. This is when President Green of the Confederacy rolled out his Fair Deal. Now this Fair Deal was a massive work program um, designed to help lift the Confederacy out of the Great Depression. It was mainly focused on uh, government intervention, something that the, the Confederacy very much strayed away from. Uh, they were very much, before this point, a very small government uh, nation, uh, very low government intervention. Obviously, they had some history, some of what they would call common sense uh, intervention, but here we can see them kind of diving more into government uh, intervention in the economy. And this, you know, could be seen in, you know, mass government work programs. Um, You know, just, you know, where the government would hire, you know, people who are looking for a job to do either conservation or construction uh, there were lots of working on infrastructure. Um, his Tennessee uh, River program, the program that, you know, as the propaganda machine put it, claimed the, you know, Tennessee River, the, uh, tamed the Tennessee River, I should say, and would just focus on uh, providing electricity for a lot of the more rural areas uh, in in Tennessee and Mississippi and Alabama and, and anywhere where the Tennessee River ran. Uh, you know, and a lot of these dams and, you know, the jobs and electricity that they provided were are, are still in use today. 
the government also began a large factory uh, program. Uh, now, this primarily uh, here in 1933 uh, was for tractors and other farm equipment. Uh, the Confederacy had a very large agricultural uh, sector, as it, as it still does today. But a lot of it was still, um, from a technological standpoint, very backwards. A lot of it still relied on uh, black sharecroppers working for pennies on the dollar. And uh, this program uh, provided jobs in these factories for people who needed them and provided uh, the equipment at severe discounts uh, to to large landowners. Uh, these factories uh, obviously were not just going to be for farm equipment. The Redeemers had something else uh, in mind and something else they would start to pump out only a few years later. In 1934, uh, as part of this fair deal program, Green began his crackdown uh, on the very small remnants of the black socialist republics that were still around, you know, primarily in the swamp lands in Florida and Louisiana, but still some in Georgia as well, his home state. Uh, and that's where he made the biggest know, kind of statement in where he would show up for the photo opportunities himself. And this largely was a very successful program. It did what it what it provided. It allowed people to get jobs. You know, it provided jobs for a lot of uh, veterans, you know, and, you know, the their fan, their sons, and anyone who was interested or could use a a gun, and you know, obviously, a lot of these blacks, you know, fought to the death, but um, many were also captured, uh, and this led to mass imprisonment uh, of these and the need for prison camps. Uh, and now these prison camps would, uh, within a very short time frame, turn into something much darker, something we'll dive into at, at a later time. Um, but because of what these camps would turn into and because of how many uh, of the blacks in, in these communities died, this was often part of uh, what he would later label his, his cleansing program for the Confederacy as the Redeemers viewed the Confederacy as inherently a white nation and that any blacks who resided in it were compromising the integrity uh, and the morality of the nation. You know, they viewed blacks as the reason 
for the Confederate defeat in the Great War, you know, not just because of the socialist republics, but they viewed it, and at least they publicly proclaimed it uh, as a punishment uh, from God uh, for allowing the, the, the blacks to rise above what the Redeemers believed was their rightful place in the world. This is something the Redeemers would commonly do. They would commonly tie themselves to the Christian uh, church in the South. They would tie themselves with religious imagery, with religious iconography. I mean, the name Redeemers itself has its origins in Christianity. Uh, But, you know, they were obviously twisting this to make their rhetoric more appealing to your everyday Confederate. Obviously, your everyday white Confederate. But back over in the U.S., 1934 would see the first socialist majority in the House since the Great War and since the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia as the U.S. electorate was looking for someone to turn around the economy as the Democrats had failed and had overseen the crash in the stock market. And the Republicans hadn't really done anything in the, in the eyes of the public they, because they were very much trying to keep the government out of the, the economy, figuring the economy would just fix itself. But this would be a sign of things to come for the United States. Uh, as they ran a very recognized name, uh, they ran a Roosevelt, uh, the cousin of the former Republican president. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, commonly referred to as FDR. Um, he would defeat Loudon and. and this point, as we discussed last time, the Democrats really aren't a factor on the national level anymore, so I figured it was time that we really cut them out as they didn't even win any electoral votes at, at this point in time. But in the Confederacy... This would be the the downfall uh, of their of their democracy uh, before the war. The the unity candidate, the anti redeemer candidate, uh, George Peary, was easily defeated by Green, and his programs had brought. A lot of people jobs, a lot of people money. They had improved 
the the lives of a lot of people. Uh, you know, so people like it when when their lives are going good, they tend to reward the party in power. Uh, but this would be the last election uh, during the Redeemer era of the Confederacy as the Redeemers not just won the presidency, but as you can imagine, they also took sweeping majorities in the Confederate Congress, and Congress would pass a emergency act that would cancel the 1938 uh, elections that Green obviously approved, and when the war began, only a year after that, Green would assume emergency powers, uh, and using these powers would would abolish the Confederate Supreme Court uh, and basically act as a dictator even more directly than he had beforehand. But 1936 also marked the Olympics coming to North America for the second time. Los Angeles had played host to the Olympiad, before, and now it was Atlanta's turn. Uh, now, many look back nowadays and wonder why the Redeemers were given this as they were viewed as extremists by even the other right-leaning governments in Europe. But uh, the Redeemers did not win this bid. This bid was won in 1931. Uh, it came down to Barcelona, uh, Berlin, and Atlanta. Um, and in the end, the, the committee chose the, the Confederacy. Um, but this would turn into a, a major soft power victory for the Redeemer Confederacy. Uh, in some ways... It would legitimize them to their fellow uh, authoritarian right leaders in Europe. But it would also inspire um, many informally held Confederate territories to, to think that it was better to be in the Confederacy uh, and this would lead to uh, what many uh, would call Yankee Redeemer parties uh, popping up, uh, especially uh, in Kentucky and Maryland. And would, you know, eventually win some seats of their own. Um, but before we get to when they would become more relevant, uh, we're going to briefly touch upon the Mexican Civil War. Now, Mexico had never been stable. It often gave of, off the the air of stability. But inside it was always a, a sizable faction 
you know, at times a minority, at times a majority that wanted to overthrow uh, the emperor, that wanted to establish a Mexican republic. Uh, but the, uh, the imperial government obviously was not going to stand for this, and this eventually came to blows uh, in early 1936 um, and would be used as an excuse by the Confederacy to ramp up their their military support. Uh, this was you know, viewed as a reasonable excuse by the United States government. Uh, many viewed at this point, uh, many in Berlin and Vienna and uh, Franklin viewed this, viewed the, the Treaty of Charleston as having potentially gone a bit too far uh, in, in limiting the losers and punishing the losers uh, economically. Uh, and so the United States were, were perfectly all right with this. Uh, and this seemed like a a reasonable excuse, and they wanted they didn't want to anger or upset the Confederacy by opposing this or starting a war over over you know border security as it were. But eventually, the Confederacy would get involved backing the the imperial government uh, in late nineteen thirty six and this would really swing the tide of the war in Mexico. Uh, as lots of the you know, white run it kicked off, it seemed the Republicans were going to have an easy sweeping victory, but you know it soon bogged down to a stalemate. But when the Confederacy, you know, attacked, you know, both from centrally controlled imperial states and the the border with Mexico. The Republicans found themselves, uh, in many cases, surrounded, uh, and slowly but surely, uh, over the next few months, they would they would start to give way and they would start to break, and eventually, the the Republicans would lose, and this would uh, put you know, Mexico in a state where it needed to do a lot of recovery. Uh, but in, also in a state where it was ingratiated to the Confederacy. But this uh, victory emboldened Green, uh, this and the Redeemer parties led for him to call for popular vote uh, to allow Kentucky in particular to join the Confederacy, uh, threatening war in the fall of 1937. Now, this is known as the Kentucky Crisis uh, and would lead to the Nashville Conference. Now, many uh, didn't want to to appease uh, the the Redeemers, many in the United States, you know, had very negative views on the Redeemers as kind of this extremist threat uh, to to their very democratic values. Uh, 
Democrat referring to democracy, obviously not not an irrelevant party. But there was also this fear of war because both sides had seen the devastation of the Great War. There was a sense of a desire to avoid war because they saw what modern industrialized warfare could do. This was the the Great War was was the first real instance of industrialized warfare. Sure, there had been wars during the Industrial Revolution, but either they were fought between industrialized nations and non-industrialized nations, so you know there wasn't really the effect on both, or they were quick, decisive wars uh, with with minimal casualties. The Great War was the first one that kind of dragged itself out and showed the brutality and horrors that, that modern warfare could present to one. And so many wanted to appease the Confederates, uh, especially in Berlin where they had their own issues to focus on on the, on the continent. Uh, you know, many in Austria feeling... Austria-Hungary feeling the, the same way as the Germans. He, you know, FDR was a little bit more hesitant to do this. Um, but he felt that you know, appealing to them on, on this would lead to them only wanting more down the line. But he was convinced by his German and Austrian allies that this was going to appease the the confederacy and at the very least now you know the america had that fear they could start preparing uh for war if they knew where the front line was going to be and the question was raised you know was it really fight worth fighting a war over kentucky uh, Kentucky, you know, when it was in the Confederacy and when it was in the U.S. during the 19th and 20th century, was not this spectacular industrial state. Uh, it was not this economic powerhouse. It was just, you know, a rural, decently populated state. But the United States would come to the table and in many ways meet the Redeemer's uh, demands allowing for a a popular vote in Kentucky. Now, the the Redeemer's in some ways, you know, there were some in the delegation who were pushing for it in all formerly Confederate territories. Um, But Green and many... Uh, who represented his European allies, you know, pushed for just focusing on Kentucky at this point in time. And so this would be decided uh, January 5th of 1938 is when it was officially announced that during the 
1938 midterms on the ballot in Kentucky, there would be an option to rejoin the Confederacy or to stay with the United States. Uh, that would have to be ratified by the United States Congress and Roosevelt committed to agreeing to whatever the people of Kentucky and the Congress decided. Uh, now this had a couple effects on the 1938 midterms, focusing on Kentucky first. Uh, it, when it came to their races for federal office, uh, it was understood that the socialists would, you know, follow FDR's lead. But the Republicans were trying to take a harder line on this. They were trying to, you know, pose themselves as the hardliners when it came to foreign policy. And so uh, Kentucky, which was a very conservative state and had redeemers uh, elected across the board as was the case in other, you know, in in Maryland and in some places in Sequoia uh, as well, would elect all socialists uh, in the first and only time that that has happened in uh, a a state south of the Mason-Dixon. Socialists would sweep the the state federal elections and the state government elections that year, uh, in which a senator would be selected uh, for who was who was a socialist uh, in name, but many in Kentucky understood that this wasn't really a socialist. This was just a pro uh, ratify, ratification vote. Now, Kentucky would also, to, to nobody's surprise, vote overwhelmingly to rejoin the Confederacy. But if you break it down along racial lines, obviously, uh, there were rumors in Kentucky about what was happening to blacks. Um, that They were starting to be gathered up that they were starting to you know to be imprisoned just for walking down the street, not just the radicals, not just those who had risen up against the government, um, but they were being shipped off uh, to camps far away from from where they lived. Uh, but this would not just have, but and this would have effects going, going down, uh, for as many blacks would start to leave Kentucky uh, in droves, as they would, they they didn't want to be part of a Redeemer South, um, a a party that openly, and a nation that now openly 
wanted nothing to do with people that looked like them. They would start fleeing uh, across the Kentucky border, across the Ohio, uh, into states like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, even Missouri, and West Virginia, as they would assume that the the Congress was going to ratify this. Um, although, you know, it wasn't quite as easy as many had feared it would be, the socialists would lose some support um, in some of the further north places, in, in the industrial areas in New England, New York, in the upper Midwest. Um, these would go to Republicans who would take hardlining stance uh, against this, uh, but they would retain a, a a majority in Congress. The socialists would, um, and combined with um, pacifist uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, the Kentucky vote would be ratified uh, as one of the first things done by the new Congress in a vote on January 6th of 1939. Uh, And immediately the Confederacy uh, would recognize this and begin moving troops and authorities in. Uh, But this would not lead to the peace that many in Germany... Middle Europa and and Austria Hungary had had hoped for. And there was a a build up now to this war as uh, the redeemers in the Confederacy uh, would ramp up military spending and start turning those those tractor plants uh, into into barrel plants and into trucks, truck plants, and into, into plants where military equipment could be uh, built. Um, and they began preparing for war with the U.S., but the U.S. Uh, would also start to ramp up production, although you know, things were relatively slowed down as you know, there was a lot more resistance in the U.S., as, as they had nothing they wanted to avenge, the Confederacy wanted to avenge their loss in the Great War. The United States, you know, along with many uh, in, on the victor side, just wanted peace uh, and didn't want to experience the horrors of, of modern warfare again. Um, but the Confederacy would step up its game even after this, and officially joined the the, the Paris-London Axis uh, months after the alliance had been formalized between the uh, UK and France, uh, an alliance that was uh, running parallel to the, the Latin bloc that Italy had set up with 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 France um, and 
as a civil war would soon break out in Spain, uh, the fascist uh, aligned faction you know, was also promised a spot in this in this Latin bloc uh, if they if they won the war, in which they eventually would, uh, as the Republican and you know, left of center side was a lot more divided than those who who wanted a right-leaning government or a fascist government were. Um, but Spain would end up not really playing a factor uh, as they would focus on rebuilding themselves, parallel, uh, something that would parallel them with their, their former colony in Mexico. But we'll dive into that more as we talk more about the war in the future. Um, but with this um, Latin bloc and Paris-London axis um, and the Confederacy joining it, this would lead the U.S., the German Empire, and the Austro-Hungarian Empire to affirm their alliance, obviously not inviting back um, the Ottomans, who were going through struggles of their own, struggles that would, again, keep them out of this war in the long run. But you also note that uh, Bulgaria was, was left out uh, as conflicts between the Austro-Hungarians and the Yugoslavs. Uh, need to remember, I need to remember to keep calling them that, as most of the time we're studying them. They're called the Bulgarians, but the Yugoslavs uh, and the Austro-Hungarians were very much uh, opposed uh, to one another and had a really deep-seated Balkan uh, rivalry that they uh, just couldn't get over, and uh, it was decided among the, the U.S., it, and the Germans that it was best to align themselves with Austria-Hungary. In this case, as Bulgaria was seen as seen as very detached from any potential fronts that could break out. Uh, meanwhile, if Italy joined a war, Austria-Hungary was right there to to what they do at least what they hoped uh, would be a quick invasion and. Cut down of Italy, um, but things would be thrown into chaos in the late summer of 1939, as uh, Willem II would fall gravely ill, and his son Willem III was soon named his regent. Um, and this would have a massive effect as France saw this as an opportunity um, and a moment of weakness in Germany. And they would demand lands that were taken from them uh, in, in northeastern France. Uh, during the Treaty of Charleston and Germany, now led by a leader who wanted to show his, his strength uh, as his father was... Well, he knew dying, uh, he wanted to establish himself as a, a strong 
leader in the the house uh, that you know had been ruling Prussia for five hundred years. He wanted to live up to the legacy of that five hundred years of rule. Uh, he would refuse this, um, assume, not assuming that France, well, France might declare war over this. That this wasn't enough land to declare war over. And it looked like for a couple of weeks that that he had been right. Um, although forces had been building up uh, on the French-Belgian and French-German border, as well as the U.S.-Confederate border, it, it seemed like perhaps this was just a show of strength that we to try to threaten uh, their enemies down. Uh, but on September 1st of, of 1939, the war would begin uh, in the three-pronged uh, attack as the Confederacy would launch what they would call Operation Blackbeard uh, across that was primarily across the Ohio, but was all across the eastern uh, half of the border, that being east of the Mississippi. Uh, but the French would also uh, launch Operation <clears throat> Operation Versgenerix. Vers Versen... Yeah, Versingenerix. Sorry, yeah. Some of these these older Frankish Germanic names can be can be hard on the hard to look at and and pick up. As this would be an invasion of Germany through Belgium, much the opposite of what the Schlieffen plan had done as well as the United Kingdom's Operation Fish Market, obviously not a, as flashy a name as the Confederate and French operations. Um, but they viewed this as a very basic operation. As, uh, they viewed a lot of their fighting with Germany would be done with the French. Um, but they wanted to reclaim their empire. That's what Churchill whole propaganda for the for building up support for this war was that it was time for England to reclaim her place at the head of the world order and so operation fish market was a vast multi-pronged invasion of Ireland and we'll dive into how these invasions worked, but considering the invasion of Ireland was by far the quickest, within a week, uh, Ireland would officially uh, surrender and its government would flee uh, in exile uh, to, to Berlin to try to maintain its legitimacy and to push, you know, uh, the Irish, who were now under uh, English rule once again, to fight back and to resist, to carry on what they viewed as a long and proud tradition of 
resisting the English. But that is where we'll stop uh, today. We'll dive into more of what happened uh, more fo- with more focus on Operation Blackbeard uh, and then the operations in Europe. Uh, but we will we'll touch on this as this war is much more interconnected uh, than a lot of the last war was, you know, despite the powers being on both fronts and in both continents. But perhaps we'll even touch on why this is called the World War here in the United States and where it got its name. But that we'll have to wait for next time. Thank you for listening to the Alternate History Class Podcast. If you'd like to give any feedback you have, feel free to reach out via Twitter at AltHisClassPod or email the show at AltHisClass at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcasting platform so you don't miss an episode when it goes live. If you are able want to help the show financially, you can support the show on Patreon. Just search for Alternate History Class or use the link in the description of this episode. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine. Feel free to share the show with someone you think will enjoy it. And finally, thank you for your most important contribution, your time. And I'll see you next time as we journey down the path not taken.